king, Lord. You are so good. You're so good, Lord. What are we that you're mindful of us, Lord? What is it that what is it that you see in us? I don't know, but Lord, I thank you, Father. Father, I pray that we will never disappoint that love, Lord. Your love is so great, Lord. You're so close to us, God. You're the God of heaven are so close to us, Lord. And I thank you, Father. I pray we won't ever take you for granted, Lord. Father, I pray that you'll speak your words today, Lord. Make great changes in us, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. <clears throat> Amen. I, um... I reiterate what the apostle said earlier about the word that you all have here. Um, I'm not typically here with you all on Sunday mornings. However, I often listen to Mr. Fisho teach. And I have to say I have, and this is, this really ain't blowing sunshine. Man, it's, I'm, I'm speaking the truth, man. I've, I've rarely listened to people teach scripture because honestly most people just don't know what they're talking about and that's not to be facetious or anything but i believe that when we grow up we grow up hearing something and oftentimes that stays with us and the word of god doesn't really ever make a change in most people as i've seen so i agree what you all have here the teaching that you have here is sound it's strong um um first of all um i and I don't do this all the time, but I want to honor, I want to honor my wife. I really thank her. She's, um, my wife is my greatest cheerleader. Even sometimes when I don't want one, <laughs> you know how you on a football field and you losing like 80 to three and the cheerleader still on the side saying, go team. That's her. <laughs> it's like, you can do it. No, I can't. Yeah, you can. So, um, I honor her and, um, you know, I'm thankful for my family, my boys who are here with me and all of you all. Now, all of you all are family. Um, and what Jay just said, um, I am moved by that. I really am. As I'm sitting here, I'm listening to what's happening in the end time. And I really believe that the word that the Lord has spoken to me has a lot to do with that. Has a lot to do with what's happening right now, what will happen in the very near future. So. That being said, let's just get into the word. Your Bibles turn to the book of Mark. Mark. Again, the Lord has been highlighting Mark to me over these past several weeks. I'm spending a lot of time in the book of Mark. And as you all turn there, forgive me for whatever happens. I'm having, I don't know, I'm, I'm percolating right now. It's like I'm, there's something in me and I don't know how it's going to come out or whether it's going to come out coherent. But um, I, I pray it does. I pray that when I leave here, y'all don't talk bad about me. Like, what was he saying? <laughs> Mark chapter four. And this is going to be, I'm thinking it's going to be scripturally intense. There's going to be a lot of reading. I'm going to, so if you could just bear with me. Mark chapter four. And I'll start reading. I'll start reading at verse. Let's start at verse one. And this is, and again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and, and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. Now, I want to skip to verse 13, where he gives the explanation of the parable that he just told. Verse 13 reads, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Speaking to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then would you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. There's a 
parallel in Matthew 13. And I like the way this parallel reads. He said in Matthew 13, verse 18, it reads, therefore. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And that's I want to stop right there. That's what that's what I want to talk about this morning. I've read these scriptures over and again, and the highlight that I saw from this was so bright. I was like, God, I got to look further into this thing. When the word is sown and there's no understanding, the Bible says that the enemy comes and he steals that. Flip over to Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter six. And I'm not going to read all of it, but this is the passage of scripture where Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. They're walking with Jesus and they're with them for a long time. And Jesus is saying, okay, give them something to eat. And the disciples go and they find fish and they find loaves. They find five loaves and they find a couple fish. And Jesus feeds 5,000 men with these fish and these loaves. So after that happens, we'll pick up at verse 45. And it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them. And said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. One more scripture in Mark. Flip over to chapter eight. Chapter eight, I'll begin reading at verse eleven. And it reads, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat, departing to the other side. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hearted? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Now, I'm reading this scripture. I'm reading these scriptures. And there's something common that Jesus is saying to the disciples here. Jesus has just performed a verified miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000 men with five loaves, two fish. And I'm sure the disciples' minds are blown because they know how many they had. Now, Jesus sends them away. Well, no, before that, the Bible says, yeah, yeah, Jesus sends them away. Jesus comes walking on water in the fourth watch of the night. Disciples out there on the boat, they straining because the wind's against them. Jesus comes walking on the water. Steps up into the boat. And the Bible says that the disciples marveled within themselves beyond measure. And it makes a statement in verse 52 of chapter 6. It says that the disciples did not understand because their hearts were hardened. 
Now, in chapter eight, Jesus goes on even further. And he also makes another statement when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The disciples are assuming in their minds, they're like, man, we forgot to take bread. Jesus is mad because he's hungry. We ain't got no bread. You know, Jesus is like, how is it that you don't understand? How is that possible that you don't understand? Now, we like to quote the scripture from Proverbs where it says, wisdom is the principal thing. I think it's Proverbs 4. Wisdom is the principal thing. And I believe that. But it goes on to say, in all you're getting, get understanding. And I believe that what the Lord is highlighting to me right now is something. There's something about understanding. I asked the Lord the question and I've asked him several times, even about myself. But I'm looking at the culture that we're growing up in, the culture that we're living in. And we live in a society where the word of God is absolutely unequivocally available to everybody. It's available to anybody who wants it. And we know the word of God to be truth. And we know the word of God has the ability to change. However, when you put all of those factors and variables into this pot, what you come out with is something that you wouldn't expect. Because if you live in a society that's that, that's rich with the word of God or the ability to encounter the word of God, what comes out on the other side should be something that's amazing. And I ask the question, God, how is it possible that we've at, we have such access to your word that created life? And yet our lives don't change. How is that possible? Really? I mean, truly, God. And I'm not just talking about the people out there. I'm talking about the people in here, the people in here. How is it possible that I have access to your word? I'm studying your word. I'm in your word. And yet I don't see the change that happened in many people in scripture. How is that possible? And I believe that this is what the Lord highlighted to me. In both of these scriptures, the Lord makes a statement. He says, have you not understood? Are your hearts still hardened? And this is a question, a rhetorical question that I want to pose as I move into the further into the scriptures. Is your heart hard? Is it possible that our hearts are really harder than we believe? Or is it possible that our that, that our hearts are soft, that we have hearts of flesh, that God can easily form and mold. And that's a rhetorical question that I want every one of us to consider as we move on through the scriptures. Now, this hard heart, because God highlighted that to me, I said, okay, God, let, let me figure this thing out. Turn in your Bibles to the Psalms, the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, chapter 95. Psalm 95. I'll begin reading. Let's do verse six. And it reads, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now this is a scripture that we've read many a times. It's a scripture that's referred to in the book of Hebrews, which will uh, possibly get to later. But as I read this scripture, because I'm saying, okay, God, what is this hardness of heart that you're talking about? It's easy to believe that it doesn't apply to me, but I just want to make sure as I read this scripture again, there are two things that kind of stood out to me that I want to, well, one of them, I want to take a springboard off of. Very first one I read, it says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. First thing that I pull from this is the fact that when it comes to a hard heart, I have a choice. A hard heart is something that, you know, we consider whenever we hear a hard heart, chances are the first thing we think about is Pharaoh. But the Bible says that God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we think that this is something that God does. This is something where God don't like me, so he's going to harden my heart. God don't like Pharaoh, so he hardened his heart. But when I read the scripture here, it says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When you hear the statement that says, do not do this, that means that you have control over it. 
That means that there's something about it that you can do that either you can do or you cannot do. If I were to say to you, don't drink from that water bottle. That means that you have the ability to drink from that water bottle. Or you have the ability to not drink from that water bottle. But if I were to say something to you like, don't remove the sun from the sky. Cabronica, don't touch the sun. Don't move it from the sky. That's exactly how you're going to look at me. You're going to be like, somebody get the mic. <laughs> I can't do that. So at the point that we hear Holy Spirit say, do this or don't do that. First of all, that means that we have some type of control over that. Now, here he's talking about a hard heart. So the first thing we need to understand about the hard heart is the fact that we've got control over it. If we don't have full control, there's a large degree that we have. Second thing I noticed is that God says he gives a direction here for those who are not quite sure what God is talking about. He says, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your father's tested me. So that's what I want to talk about just for a few minutes. Turning your Bibles to the book of Numbers. What is this rebellion that Holy Spirit is speaking about? What is this? Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Numbers 14 is where I'm going to go. Numbers chapter 14. Verse, I'm going to go to verse, I'll start at verse 20, but a little background here. What's happened is God has brought the children, God heard the cries of the children of Israel. They were in Egypt and they were being oppressed and God heard their cries. God sent Moses and he sent Aaron and, you know, they spoke to the Pharaoh and they told him to let my people go. And we are, we're all aware of the, the plagues that, that God put on, on the on the land of Egypt. But at this point, God has delivered them from from the from the hand of Pharaoh from Egypt. Now let's let, let's read it verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and signs, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land that I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So what God is saying here, he's telling Moses, he was like, these people here are not going to see the promised land. They're not going to see it because they've tested me these ten times. Now, what are these 10 times that God is speaking about? So where we pick up is the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. They've been delivered from, from the bondage of the Egyptians. The Egyptians told them, go, take everything you want and go. Well, it gets to a point that Pharaoh realizes his heart gets hardened again. So the children of Israel come up to the, come up to the Red Sea. Now, at this point, Pharaoh says, you know what? I want them back. Get all the armies. Let's go after them. So they begin to go after them. What happens is children of Israel standing there at the Red Sea, they look back, Pharaoh's on his way to get us. They begin to grumble against Moses. Why is it that you brought us out of Egypt? Why is it, man, it would have been better that we had died back in Egypt, and this is the first time. So what happens is God says, okay, I understand. You all, God made us reasonable people. God made us people that we're, we have the ability to reason. And I don't think it would be fair of God if he were to judge us based on things that we were not aware of him. And I think that that's what God had in mind when he did all of these things. So they're at the Red Sea. God tells Moses, he says, you know, the, the staff that you got in your hand, use it. So what happens is God is he, he there's a cloud. There, there, there's a pillar of a cloud and God blinds the Egyptians from seeing the children of Israel. And all night the wind blows and it moves. It parts the sea. Sea stands up on itself. Children of Israel walk across. They look back, see the Egyptians coming. God drowns every one of them in the sea. Wow. Like, man, that's hot. That's serious right there. So what did we just see? We saw God do something that nobody else could do. Next thing we've got, they come up, they thirsty. Children of Israel are thirsty. They get to a place where there's some water, but the water's bitter. How we can't drink this water. Moses, you stupid, man. Why you bring us here, man? We can't drink this water. God tells Moses, take a tree, throw it in the water. Moses, take a tree, throw it in the water. 
water sweet. Oh, man, that's tight, Moses. That's all right, God, you okay? Next thing happens. They get hungry. Moses, why you bring us out here? Man, we had, we, we had everything we wanted when he was in Egypt. Man, we had, uh, they start naming a whole bunch of meats. And so Moses is like, all right, God, what, what you going to do? God says, I'm going to send you meat and bread from heaven. God sends manna. God sends quail. I mean, the quail come in and they fly. And they just, it's like they just standing there fluttering, waiting to get killed so they could get eaten. A day's journey to the left, a day's journey to the right. God brings quail from everywhere. And they're like, mm-hmm, okay, God, you know, you're the man. So they're, they're seeing all of these things, and it continues time after time after time where God tells them, um, don't leave any to the morning. They leave it to the morning. Gather it, gather two times before the Sabbath. They don't do it. On the Sabbath, they go out looking for it. They get thirsty. They get water from a rock. Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to God. They make a calf. They say, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt time and time and time and time again. They have seen the works of God. Yet and still, what happens is they say, as they go just a little bit further, they say, well, you know what? God don't care about me. They say, well, I don't know, man. I just don't know. Now, the Bible says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So that's where we pick up here at verse 20. The Lord said, I've pardoned according to your word. I'll read it again. But truly as I live. But truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because of these men, because all these men who have seen my glory and signs, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test. Now, these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So the very first thing that we see about the heart and heart is that the children of Israel were witnesses to God. They were witnesses to what it was that God did. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. And actually, this whole chapter is um, relevant. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll start reading at verse 9. And it's talking about the children of Israel here. And it says, you saw, well, speaking of God right now, it says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against all his servants and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against him. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws. Good statutes and, com good statutes and commandments you have made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they acted, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Now, this just went over a lot that we just spoke about. And the verse, the, the, the part of the scripture that I would like to highlight here is verse 16. It says that, but they and our fathers acted proudly. They did what? They hardened their necks. And they did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders. So here we see the children of Israel. This, this narrative about the children of Israel, that what it says here, it says they hardened their necks and they were not mindful of the wonders of God. And this is something that we see common throughout scripture when it comes to a stiff necked or a stubborn people. Speaking of which, let's talk. Let's go to Daniel. Let's go to the book of Daniel. So right now, what we've got is the children of Israel who have seen the wonders of God time and time again. And God points out 10 times where he says, you know, I'm done. 
Daniel chapter 4. I'm done. I mean, how, it's almost like God is like, how much more can I give you? Daniel chapter 4, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we know King Nebuchadnezzar. We know that King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. We know that God lifted him up and gave him pretty much all the earth. Daniel chapter 4. Background about what, what's taking place here. Daniel, like I said, is king. Now, you've got what we call three Hebrew boys <clears throat> who were, you know, they were captive. They came in and Daniel has a, Daniel sets up a, an image. I'm sorry, not Daniel. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image. He sets up this image and he says, at the time that you hear all of the instruments playing, everybody here is going to bow down to this image. Well, obviously, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they didn't bow down to the image. So it's brought to King Nebuchadnezzar's attention. King Nebuchadnezzar gets to the point to where he brings them before him and they say, he says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear all of these instruments, I want you to bow down. Of course, as the story goes, they don't bow down. So the king gets upset. He gets mad. He tells them to fire up the furnace. Turn it on. Turn up the heat. So they turn up the heat. And he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Are you going to? They say, no. They say, no, we're not going to do it. The Bible says that he threw them into the furnace. Of course, you know the story. He threw them into the furnace. The bands were loose. He's standing there looking. He threw three in. He sees four. He walks up to them. He calls them out. Come on out. It's like this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a great God. Let's pick it up here in verse 3, actually. I want you to read this. Nebuchadnezzar, let me see, verse 20. Let's, yeah, verse 28. It reads, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which, which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Now, this is the king's word. The king has seen what God, what the God of heaven has just done, and he makes a declaration. There is no other God like this. Well, let's skip over one chapter to chapter four. Chapter four, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he's troubled by the dream. So he calls in Daniel in order to interpret the dream. And we'll pick up at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said to Belteshazzar, Do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose heights reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all under the and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king. It is you, O king, who have be, who have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord, the king. Verse 25 reads, they shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Now, what happened is Daniel... Um, King Nebuchadnezzar just had this dream. 
Daniel comes in and interprets the dream for him. He tells him, he says, King, God has made you great. He's given you everything. He's made you great in all the earth. But what's going to happen is when, when they came in and chopped down the tree, what he was saying is that's God. That's God saying that you're going to be chopped down. You're going to be cut down for a time. Nebuchadnezzar had a warning. He had this warning that God gave him. And actually, at the end of verse, was it 27, after he gives the interpretation at verse 27, Daniel tells him, he says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So the Lord has given the king a warning. He says, this is what's going to happen. Now, perhaps if you were to do what's right, be righteous, God will lengthen your prosperity. He has the word of God. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar who's seen God's miracles, who's seen God work. He saw what the Lord did in the furnace. He's the same one who exalted the Lord and said, there's no other like the king of like, like the uh, God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There was no other like him. Now, God has given him a warning. This same God has given him a warning. Look, you're about to be cut down. I've made you great. You're about to be cut down. The Bible says in verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So one year later, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in, his, in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Now, this passage of scripture, it amazes me when I look at it and Oftentimes, you know, we can look at it from a self-righteous position to where we can say, man, King Nebuchadnezzar, man, it was just stupid, man, because he saw what God did. He saw his eyes witness what God did. And yet and still, how do you make a statement that totally negates God from everything that you have? And yet it happened. And we see the result of that. So we've got the children of Israel. The Bible says, don't let your hearts be hardened as it was in the rebellion. So we've got the children of Israel who have seen sign after sign after wonder. And yet and still, they didn't remember God. They chose not to remember God. Now you've got this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who God made great. He's seen the wonders of God. And yet he chose not to remember God. And of course, we've already spoken about Pharaoh. But, you know, if you want to read through that, you can go through it. Uh, on your own time, but beginning at Exodus 7, where God has shown sign after sign, the plagues that God performed on Egypt that never touched Goshen. Pharaoh had, not only did he have uh, Moses and Aaron to come to him, but Pharaoh's own magicians told him, you know, at one point they were like, this is the hand of God. This is the finger of God. Pharaoh, I don't know what's going on, but you might want to listen to him. The Bible says that time after time after time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, many oftentimes will look at that and say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And though I do believe that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, initially, I believe the initial hardening of the heart came from Pharaoh himself. The Bible actually says that throughout the um, throughout the passage, it goes back and forth between God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Scripture just does not support the fact that someone who wants to serve God, that God will harden their heart. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Time after time after time. Now that we've got that foundation laid down, let's go back to the book of Mark. Because I said, well, no, before I say that, Mark, Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. I just kind of want to skim through this a little bit. Jesus said that the disciples' hearts were hardened. And after I read the, the, the accounts of Nebuchadnezzar and I read the accounts of, of Pharaoh and I read the accounts of the children of Israel, I said, well, God, you said that the, the disciples' hearts were hardened. That's why they didn't understand. So maybe you were a little bit too hard on them. 
But as you read through, as you skim through the book of Mark, you'll see many things that the disciples witnessed. Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered through the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she served him. Hmm. So what happens is they come in. Peter's mother-in-law's got a fever. She's laying on the bed. You know, she's like, I'm sick. I can't get up. Jesus came in, touched her hand, healed the fever, picked her up. Immediately she gets up. So the disciples are looking at this. They witness this. They see it. Never seen nothing like that before. Let's go to verse 32. And at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demonized. And the whole city, listen, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Wow. So they just saw him heal Peter's mother-in-law. Then the whole city comes to his door. They see Jesus heal the entire city, delivering and healing. Hmm. Okay. Skip down to verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Man. So he just cleaned a leper who people don't, you don't touch lepers. If you've ever seen leprosy, leprosy is sick. I mean, it looks really bad. It's like, I can't even describe it. It's, it, it looks bad. Let's go to chapter two. Chapter two. Okay, verse, let's start at verse one. And, he, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that was a profound one to me. Because he, he didn't just he didn't just say be healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. you." And the response that they get from the scribes, the Bible says, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoned in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned, that, that thus they reasoned within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they all were amazed and glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, what he's done here is he's literally verified his position as God in the eyes of the disciples. The scribes have already said nobody can forgive sins except God. And he says, just so that you will know, for the sake of you knowing that I am God, son, take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Man, got up, took up his bed and walked out. Jesus has verified his position as God right here. And chapter after chapter after chapter, this happens. Up until the point that we get to the end of the book. Turn to chapter 16. So we've gone through. We, we've gone through miracle after miracle. The disciples have witnessed Jesus working. They've witnessed him moving. Jesus is gone. He's given his life. He's laid his life down. He's told him what's going to happen. The son of man has to die. I'm going to lay my life down. And we pick up on chapter 16 at verse 9. 
Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, his disciples, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went in and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. Verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, after all of this, after after years, over three years of walking with Jesus, of hearing what was going to happen. The Bible says when Jesus walked in, he rebuked them still because of their unbelief, because their heart was still hearted. Now, this caused me concern. Because I said, God, if it's possible that you could have men that could walk with you on the earth for three years and listen to your words and actually be taught by you to sit at your feet and listen to you, what chance do I have? And their hearts were still hardened. And then I said, well, maybe this is just something because, you know, they ain't had Holy Spirit. So maybe this was just something that. You know, plague, it was an ancient plague. You know, Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and the disciples, you know, they, they didn't have what I have. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. And here's where we pick up with the uh, psalm that we read in 95. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. So he's reading through then he's reading through the same song that Holy Spirit penned back in the book of Psalms. But he gives a warning after that in verse 12. He says, beware, brethren. Talking to the believers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our of our confidence steadfast to the end. The writer of Hebrews gives a warning to us. He gives a warning not to the people who lived in ancient days, but to the people who have lived after the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. He says, beware, brethren. And this is the warning that I believe that God wants to give this morning. He says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This heart of unbelief is something that's possible for every single one of us. Every one of us can fall to a heart of unbelief. And when I say there was a fear in me, understand what I'm saying. There was a, a, a deep concern with me in saying, God, there's a warning that you give. Nobody gives a warning when danger isn't present. There's a warning that you give. God, what is it? How is it that this thing happens? And God directed me to the uh, to the Proverbs. Actually, it was my concordance that directed me, but God directed me through my concordance. Proverbs chapter 28. And this made it so clear to me, and I pray that everybody here will will have the same clarity. Proverbs 28, but hold your finger on Hebrews because we're going to go back there. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14. Proverbs 28, verse 14 reads, Happy is the man who is always reverent, or I think King James says fearful. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Happy is the man who's always fearful, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Now, there's something that as a sidebar that you'll understand about the Proverbs when you read through them. The Proverbs have a lot of contrasting statements. They have a lot of this and that. They have a lot of but. Um, this, but that. And when you read, when you see contrasting statements, what that means is that they're opposing each other. For instance, if you read verse 12, 
Well, verse 11, verse 11 says the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. So there's a contrast between the rich and the poor. The rich and the poor are opposites. Verse 12, it reads, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. So the contrast is between the righteous and the wicked. So they are opposites. Verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So there's the one who covers his sin and there's the one who confesses his sin. They are opposites. So that theme you'll see a lot through the Proverbs. And when you read verse 14, you'll understand that there's a there's that same contrast here. The contrast says as happy as the man who is always fearful or reverent of God. But what's the opposite? He who hardens his heart. So the one who is fearful, the one who reverences God is the opposite of the one who hardens his heart. And if you look up that word. Um, reverent or fearful in the in the Hebrew scriptures, that word is a word that means awe. It means to stand in awe of. The Bible says, happy is the one who looks at God and stands and says, oh my God. Oh my God. When we look at God and we stand in awe of him because there is so much that we have to be in awe about. But the Bible says back in Hebrews, Chapter three, it says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief or a hard heart of unbelief. The only way you can have a hard heart of unbelief is when you're not standing in awe of God. Look at Nebuchadnezzar, who saw the power of God, who witnessed the power of God, who saw everything that God could do. And yet and still, he took his eyes off of God and he began to look at himself and said, look what great things I've done. Look at the Pharaoh who witnessed and was subject to the to the uh, the plagues that God put on him every single time acknowledging, OK, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. Just have this off of me. Soon as the Lord relented, he goes back to a hard heart. He didn't stand in awe of God. Look at the children of Israel who walked with God for years, saw God perform so many wonderful miracles. Not only did they see what he did to Pharaoh, they saw what he did on their behalf, on their behalf. And yet and still, they didn't stand in awe of God. They didn't look back and remember. They didn't remember the fact that this is what God did for me. And at the point that we do not remember God constantly, if we do not constantly remember God, I believe that that's the way the evil heart of unbelief creeps in. Because the cares of this world are constantly around us. And when our eyes are focused on them and we don't look up and stand in awe of God, we begin to look down and we look at ourselves. We look at our own abilities. When we look at the Bible and the Bible says that this is the way you should live. And yet we look at the world and say, well, they're prospering. So maybe I could just compromise just a little bit and do a little bit of the world. And God, I'm still going to hold my Bible in my left hand. At that point, we begin looking outwardly and we don't look at God and stand in awe of him and saying, look what God has done. God has done this. God has created all of this. And yet and still, I choose to take my eyes off of him. That's where the unbelief creeps in. And that's why I believe it's possible for even those who are in the word or who are in the body, I should say, those who are in the body. If at any point, see, it's easy for us to look and say, OK, well, I'm in the body and I'm doing good and I'm reading and I'm doing this and I'm surrounded by believers. And I think I'm OK. I think I'm all right. Nebuchadnezzar probably thought it was all right to have Daniel in his court because Daniel could do some amazing things. But Nebuchadnezzar's heart was wicked. His heart was hard because he refused to look up. He refused to constantly be in awe of God. Constantly be in awe. Even at the times where I say, God, I don't understand. But I remember. And I love the way uh, Zinc put it. Uh, um, how was that you put it when it came to remembrance? Remembrance is the, um, the, the act of recalling to recalling to mind for the purpose of action. I love that. Remembrance is the act of recalling to my mind for the purpose of action. So when I remember God, it's not just that I remember because Nebuchadnezzar remembered God. He did. He was, he was fully aware of God, but he did not recall what God did for the purpose of his own action. So when you remember God, when you stand in awe of God, you remember, okay, God did this. <laughs> so the actions that I'm going to make from now on are going to be based off of me remembering what God did. And when we don't do that, when we don't purposefully do that, not just get up in the morning and say, OK, well, God, you know, I acknowledge you. You know, I acknowledge you did this and everything I got is because of you. 
But when, a, when the hard times come, when the difficult times come, when, when, when the times come where everybody around us is, is coming down on us and they're, 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 they're turning away from us because of the doctrine we preach or the way that we live, when we choose not to remember God, eventually what's going to happen is that heart of unbelief is going to creep up. It's going to. It has no choice but to. And as a, well, not really a sidebar. When you read through scripture, there are people who had hard hearts and there are people who had tender hearts. There is no middle ground. There, 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 there's, there, there's no midway. There's no, well, my heart, uh, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's not, I mean, I don't fully trust God, but I believe him a little bit. There's none of that. There's none of that, period. And if it's going to get to the point to where you've got so many people who are turning away from the faith. But like you just said earlier, those who are in the faith, the fire begins to burn hot. We're going to have to get to the point to where every single day we stand in awe of God, because the things that we're going to see from this day on. Could totally blow our minds, and I don't mean toward God. I mean, the things that you see, you know, it's possible that the things that you see could make it in your mind to where you say, you know what? Maybe what I've believed isn't true. The devil is so subtle and so crafty. And as the scripture says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Sin, the way sin operates, it operates, it, it, it's kind of like it's under the radar. Where if we don't stand in, where we're, when we're not in awe of God, when we take our eyes off of God, at that point we begin to make certain compromises and say, well, maybe it's okay. You know, this is just, just a little bit. It's just a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not nothing huge, man. I just won't do it the way that, I mean, I'm not sinning. I just choose not to do it this way. I mean, I, just a little bit. Sin is so deceitful in causing us to believe that, well, maybe God is okay with it. And that's what the, the, the author says here we say, when he says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So what we understand here, we understand the fact that we've got to stand in awe of God. God has to be awesome. God has to be um, preeminent in our lives. The words that God has spoken, the things that God has done. When I'm walking and I don't fully understand, I've got to simply stand in awe of God. So, as is my tradition, I hate to bring out this point without asking God, okay, God, you've given me the problem, so what's the solution? And the solution, I believe, well, the very first thing is to trust God. First thing is to trust God. Ezekiel 36, the Bible says that God will, God will sprinkle us. He'll make us clean. He'll take the heart of stone out of us, the hard heart out of us. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. God says, I'll take the heart of stone out of you. So obviously there's a hard heart in us somewhere. If God says, I'm going to take the heart of stone out of you, I'm going to give you a pliable heart, a heart of flesh, one that will cause you to obey my statutes and commands. First thing we need to do is to simply trust God. Let me back up a little bit. First thing we need to do is to acknowledge ourselves. Because Jesus said, you know, those who are sick is those who need the doctor. And up until the point that we acknowledge the fact that we are subject to this, we feel we don't need it. If I don't acknowledge the fact that I am subject to departing from God, if I don't keep my eyes on him, I'll never need it. I don't, I don't need that. First thing we need to do is to acknowledge ourselves. Second thing we need to do is to trust God. We've got to trust God. And I know that's a, a vague, broad statement, but God is the one. God is the only one who can take a heart out of a man. You can't do it. And if you try, you're going to end up killing yourself. I mean, you can't do it. God is the only one who can do that. Second thing we need to do is to read the accounts. First Corinthians chapter 10. And you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to. Um, First Corinthians chapter 10, verse one. It reads, moreover, brethren, I do not. Yeah. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and drank and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Reason I say the, the next thing we need to do is to read the accounts is because that's the reason it's here. The whole reason it's here is so that we can look and see what's happened in the past so that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Look at the account of Nebuchadnezzar and don't follow his example. Look at the account of the children of Israel and don't follow their example. Last thing we need to do is right here. And this is the this is this is our responsibility. This is when I, when I see this, I see this is my responsibility. It's amazing how God can can instruct us not to have a hard heart. And yet he gives me responsibility in making sure that that doesn't happen. Beware, brethren. Chapter three, verse 13 of Hebrews, it says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. The Bible says exhort one another daily while it's called today. Otherwise, any of you could be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's a reason why we gather together. There's a reason why I watch the people who I hang around. When that, that word exhort means it literally means to implore. It means to beg. It means to entreat. It means to pray earnestly. The Bible instructs me that I'm to pray earnestly and to beg you. Listen, man, open your eyes. The Bible says that that's my responsibility to exhort you and yours to exhort me. Otherwise, the result could be that there's a heart of unbelief that rises up in me. And oftentimes we'll look at one another and we'll say, well, you know what? You know, that's your life. It's easy for us to say that's your life. You know, you do that. You deal with that. You got to stand before God. But according to the scriptures, the scriptures instruct me to exhort you. How often? Daily. Daily. Every single day. Otherwise, there could be a heart of unbelief in me. So if I don't believe, it's your fault. No, I'm just joking. It's not your fault. <laughs> but there's a principle there that we have got to understand. The very first thing, and as I, as I wrap this up, I want to make sure that this is coherent. The Bible says that the disciples, even though they witnessed the works of God, did not believe because their hearts were hardened. At one point, the children of Israel got to the point where they said, why did we even come up out of Egypt? Why did we come out of Egypt? They didn't remember all of the all, all of the burden that they were under. And how often have we said that? Why is it that I've done this? Why is it? I mean, you know, I, I, I got all excited. I read the Bible. I got some zeal about myself. I started doing what the Bible says. And now look where I am. Why did I even do this? Why did I even? Their hearts were hardened. The disciples who walked with Jesus, their hearts were hard. And because of that, they did not have understanding. Jesus said that their understanding was not there because their hearts were hard. And in everything that we get, we've got to get understanding. But it's not possible or it doesn't seem possible to have understanding of everything, of all the word that the Lord is sowing in us. We are so rich in the word and the Lord is sowing so much into us. Why is it that we don't seem to have this understanding? Perhaps it's because there's something in us that we've not yet allowed God to deal with. So in closing, this is my prayer. My prayer is that daily we'll take ourselves before the Lord. Daily we'll take ourselves before God. God, help me to stand in awe of you. If right now I'm not in awe of you, give me something to be in awe of you about. And I'm sure the Lord will bring it to remembrance. But not only that, let's link arms. Let's hold hands and uphold one another. Let's exhort one another daily. So that there will not be a heart of unbelief. And at the point that the light grows dim outside, our light and our fire will burn that much hotter. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you. Your word is truth, Lord, and the entrance of your word brings light. Father, I pray that you will illuminate us, Lord. Illuminate our, our inside, our being, Lord, our understanding, Lord. May the, the, the hearts of our understanding or the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will bring light so that we may truly see, Lord. Father, I pray if there's any area of hurt or harm or danger in our heart, stony areas, Lord. Father, I pray that you will simply remove it, Lord. Do what only you can do, Father. But I also pray, Lord, that we will do what we can do. May we stand in awe of you, Lord. 
Father, I pray that when we close our eyes, we'll think on your miracles and your mighty works that you've done in our own lives. Father, I pray that when we open our eyes, we'll look out and we'll see the mighty works that you've done in our own lives and in the lives of so many others, Lord. I pray that not one day will go by that we don't stand in awe of you, Lord. Father, may we never harden our hearts, Lord. Give us a heart of flesh. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Does anybody have any answers? Any questions? <laughs>